Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, we have an amazing guest. He's a big-time multifamily investor with over 1,500 units. He currently has over $100 million in assets under management. He's the co-founder of Jake and Gino. He's a coach, a husband, a father of six children. Welcome to the show, Gino Barbaro. All right, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on today. Uh, before we dive into all the great stuff we're going to talk about, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are today? Well, Dan, I started back in 2002. I bought a triplex, which I thought was a quad, but it was a triplex. Made a big mistake. Oh, wow. Was, li- <laughs> <laughs> was living in New York. Hey, you know what? That's, that's one of your faithful mistakes that, that you learn when you start out with, but it's just education times action equals results. That's what it comes down to. I wasn't educated. I was taking massive action and I'm glad I did that. I held that deal until three months ago. We just sold it after, what is it? 18 years. Uh, it was right near my restaurant. I was in the restaurant business for over 20 years with little family business. We had one restaurant, but I didn't know anything about systems, you know, scalability, people, and culture. So that's one of the reasons why I only had one restaurant. I've a uh, father of six kids, homeschool of six kids. So uh, that's one of my, uh, I guess, proudest moments, proudest things that I've done in my life. Uh, wow. I love, I love loved family. I mean, family is the most important thing to me. And for me, I wanted to get out of the restaurant business. That's why I didn't want to do it anymore because I was there on the weekends. I was there on Christmas Eve. I was there on the holidays and it sucked. It was a really hard job. It was great when it lasted, but once 08 came, everything shifted, Dan. And I was amazed that everyone says that, oh, my business got affected. Everyone's business got affected. Technology affected everything. Food eating habits affected everything. Grubhub, everything. You know, the small mom and pop got destroyed. So I was fortunate to partner with Jake back in 2011. It took us 18 months to find our first deal in a good market. If you want to call it a good market, you know, GDP was 1%. Uh, banks weren't lending money. There was no, there was no capital there to syndicate. The economy sucked. Rents were 350 bucks a month when now they're 700 a month. So it was dire back then, back in 13. We bought that first deal, a 25-unit deal. And you know, since then, we've been able to accumulate over 1,600 units. We bought our first 1,000 wow. by ourselves, which we did the opposite because Jake and I really, were not that smart. We just said, you know what, let's keep buying. We didn't know anything about syndication. We just said, let's keep buying. We were fortunate to partner with another guy named Mike. So the three of us owned our first thousand units. We were able to refinance over $9 million from those proceeds, continue to put it into the next deal and into the next deal. And our three-step framework, which is buy right, manage right, and finance right, allowed us to actually control the deals, manage them effectively, and really do that refine role and use agency debt to continue to expand. And back in November of 2018, we're like, you know what? Let's rip off the Band-Aid. Everyone's doing syndications. Let's see what that model is like. And syndication is a great tool in the toolbox. So we syndicated our first deal in 18. And since then, we've syndicated two other deals and we bought deals internally. So it's basically based on a deal-by-deal basis. Can we pitch this to our investors or is it more of a big lift and should we do it internally? So you know, looking at that, we've been able to scale and it was all about 
It was all about, like I said, building the business and not looking at it from a mom and pop and really trying to create systems within multifamily. Because as you know, Dan, if you take a look at real estate and you look at it as a business, you're going to have a lot of fun in this business. Yeah. And I think a lot of people approach it, even like successful people, they approach it as a, as a hobby mm-hmm. or a passion or something. And it sounds like just from the expansion and getting the 1600 units, like you guys have really kind of dialed in the scientific approach to this, right? Well, you know what it was in the beginning? It was, it was tough because we had the IMA mentality. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm a can't get too far without getting burned out. So we actually had to get out and, and we're, we're educators, we're mentors, and we went to coaching. I think coaching is the most important thing. We started with a company called Scaling Up, Petra Coaching, because we're we've never scaled up a company, right? To this size. We have multiple revenue streams, multiple companies that have all worked together. So how do you do that? How do you create a culture and how do you create core values for your company? And how do you create a mission statement? I didn't have that with the restaurant. That's why I only had one restaurant. My food was awesome. I can cook some great Italian food. Can't create a business from that. So for me, it's like, oh, what do I do here? So with the re- with the real estate, it was simple: start scaling up, start implementing systems, and start hiring great people, and start rewarding those people. And maybe when you start syndicating deals, have them invest with you, side by side with you, and have them create that, uh, you know, the accountability and all that. And I didn't have that experience. And you know, if you don't have that experience, you know what? You're not born with it. You're not born a natural salesperson. You're not born a natural entrepreneur. These are all skills that can be learned if you want to learn them. And for me, I had enough clarity in my early 40s saying, I don't want to keep doing this one thing by myself. I want to grow something. I want to be a part of something. And for me, you know, going to life coaching school is probably one of the most transformational things for me because it gave me the clarity. It gave me the why. And then once you have that why, you just you can figure out how to do it ultimately. And you guys are in the, the coaching business yourself now, correct? Yep. So, business? Yeah. So for me, I didn't think of creating Jake and Gino. When I was still at the restaurant, I was just doing life coaching for personal development. But I'm like, this is, um, this is amazing. I love this. And, and for me, I actually brought that into our real estate business for Jake, helping us scale that business. And then we had 200 units. And I said, Jake, why don't we write a book? I, I love what we're doing here. Why don't we start a podcast? Our podcast has been running for five years. And amazingly, once, as you'll know, Dan, you can attest to this, you start to podcast, you meet these amazing people, you start learning, you start ne- you know, networking, podcasting with Ken McElroy, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, T. Harv Ecker, Cameron Harold. The list goes on and on. Brian Scudamore, all these amazing people that you have to spend thousands of dollars to get on a phone call with. They're on your podcast and you're learning from them. And all of a sudden, you create this amazing community with like-minded individuals and you're helping them out and they're helping you out. And when you learn, do, and teach, ultimately, when you become a teacher, you're learning more and you're becoming a much better investor and you're locked into what's going on in the market and you're constantly pushing yourself to learn more, teach more, and to become better. And it becomes a vicious cycle where you're learning and teaching and learning and teaching and your students are teaching you more about what's going on and what you could actually teach them. So it's rewarding ultimately. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And you know, Carrie and I launched Hypervest Agent about a year and a half ago. And mm-hmm. you know, so we're coaching lots of real estate agents now. And and the like when you coach and train, like a lot of times I feel like I get more out of it than <laughs> than, yes. than they do. Like I feel like I'm I'm you know learning a lot more and I'm I'm seeing what people are doing in other markets, yep. and you know, I, I think it's it just activates like a higher a higher level of mastery. Somehow, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, and it's also rewarding, isn't it? Fun to get an email from a student or from some of your coaching saying, "I closed my first deal," or "Hey, listen, I just left my job and went into real estate full time." Those are the two things I think we ultimately want to achieve. I think to me, that's what success has been. It's not buying another car or you know buying another house. It's 
wow, I just helped another student close a deal, or I just changed somebody's mindset from being a W-2 employee to actually going and getting, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. And I have students who are actually doing life coaching because I preach it so much. And when they go through the course, they're, they're like dumbfounded. They're like, I never knew this part of, you know, thinking. I never knew that. So that is really ultimately what you, you strive for to help others. And in real estate, everybody out there, real estate is all about network and it's all about relationships. And at the end of the day, if you can build those relationships, those relationships will help you build your business. And it's just a lot more fun working with people you want to work with. Yeah, I agree with the networking aspect for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the, the bigger your network is, you know the saying, the bigger your net worth is. Mm-hmm. Coaching is and teaching others is a great way to expand that. And really, like mm-hmm. some of you know, we do paid events, we do paid coaching, but some of my, my most fun things we do are like some of our investor meetups and you know, just the, the free events we do, mm-hmm. uh, just because the people you meet, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Was the biggest challenge for you guys just getting started? Like, you, you bought that first deal that you thought it was a quad, it ended up being a triplex. Like, I'm sure that was a scary moment when you realized, oh, I'm, I'm getting three rents, not four. Like, mm-hmm. how did you walk so, us through that a little bit? Yeah, so I'll, I'll even fast forward a little bit later. I, I think the biggest challenges that most of us have is we call it the shiny object syndrome. We don't focus on one niche. I had bought that that quad because I wanted, quote unquote, additional income from the restaurant. But then I went to a mobile home park, didn't know anything about it. And I crapped out on that back in 05, 06. Then I bought a mixed-use building in 07, crapped out on that one. I ultimately said, people need food, clothing, and apartments. That's the three basic human needs. So I want to focus on multifamily. I think I can do with this. And I had to get out and I had to get educated. I needed to go out and I needed coaching myself. So we practiced what we preached. I got two different mentors in, 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 in the real estate space with multifamily. And that to me was a turning point because I had systems. I knew how to underwrite a deal. I knew how to actually evaluate a market. I knew how to speak to investors. And that first deal with me and Jake was really challenging because we had no credibility. You know, the brokers weren't taking us seriously. We really didn't know how to underwrite as well as we should have. We were, un, we were uninformed with the market. You know, just because you live in a market and you think you know it, well, you really have to know the market, what the expenses are. We had no team built. So when we took this property, we had no contractors. We barely had the inspector. We only knew one broker. We didn't have like the great banking slash mortgage relationships, but that's okay in your first deal. You're not going to have that. You're going to build that as you do it. And I always tell people, you know, building and buying multifamily is like having a big family. You know, your first kid, my first child, didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'm like, this is fun, but I'm overwhelmed. The second one, it's like, okay, I've done this once. There's no manual. I can figure it out though. The third one is like, this is a lot of fun. I, I get this. There's some uniqueness to this, but having kids is great. The fourth one is like, man, this is fun. Now I'm starting to cash flow. Now it's making sense. Now it's the long game. My fifth child is like, all right, I really enjoy this. Let me sit back. I know the systems. I know how to scale my portfolio. I'm cash flowing great. And the sixth one is like, cherry on the top. I get this now. This makes total sense to me. And if I have another 10 kids, it's just the same thing as multifamily. Just keep stacking those babies on <laughs> and, and they're going to cash flow, right? The only problem with having kids, the only difference is, you know, kids take money out of your pocket ultimately. But you know what? My kids are starting to work with me. So I'm getting that money back in my pocket. So think of that analogy. When you first start out, you're not, you don't know what you don't know. That's why you need coaches, right? And you just need to pull the cord. You need to commit and then figure it out. That's why with life coaching, 80% psychological, 20% mechanical, you need to know why you're doing this. I had my why. I had my pain points. So if you're out there and you're just dabbling in anything, just think about it. If you dabble in anything, are you ever going to be successful in that? No. But if you commit, you figure it out, and you have your big reason why you're doing it, I think you can become successful in, in any endeavor. 
I've I've never heard uh, real estate investing explained with that that analogy of was it a bad analogy? Or was it a good analogy? One through six. No, it it works well. I only have uh, three, so I guess I'm so already got it, but I'm still learning. <laughs> well, you got room for growth. You know what I'm saying? You still got room for growth there. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, no, I, I agree though. The first the first time you do anything, it's it's very very scary and mm-hmm. and like you come up with all these reasons why. And I think if you focus on it too much, you just, you just never take action. And, Mm -hmm. and I've, you know, I've been mentored by a lot of people and spent time with Tony Robbins. And, you know, he always says the, the amount of growth that you'll have, the amount of success you'll have is only limited by the, uh, the amount of discomfort you're able Mm -hmm. to, to Mm -hmm. withstand. Right. So, so people that can withstand more discomfort, uh, they'll take action and do deal number one or thing number one of whatever it is, and then and then really that's that's how you learn. Like you mm-hmm. need, like I believe you need the education, the mentoring, the training, but you need the action too. Mm-hmm. And you're never gonna really know until you take that first step. Dan, do you mind if I share a little secret with everybody? Let's hear it. Very simple. You will never be ready for something. I was never ready to have my first child. I was never ready to have my sixth child. Doesn't mean I didn't want the sixth one. All I knew is it was hard as hell. I wasn't financially free at the time. I had a lot of bills. I've got five of them already going to college. I've got to do five weddings. And it's the same thing with multifamily. You're never ready. The market is never right. Because I had Jay Scott on the podcast years ago. He started fixing and flipping in 2008. Worst time ever to start. You can buy the deals, you can't sell the deals. Now it's the same thing. It's not the right time to get in the multifamily. The only time something is right for you is when you're ready for it. When you're ready to do something, that's the time. Because if not, you're going to make excuses. The market's too hot. There's not enough money. Rents are too low. The economy sucks. Coronavirus, blah, blah. Keep going on and on. You make those, you make those excuses. And I think, honestly, when I was ready to have children and get married, it happened. And when I was ready to buy my first multifamily and I, was, I had the clarity, it happened. So really, focus on yourself. It's all about you. If you want something and you're ready to do it, it just make it happen because it's never the right time. Yeah, I agree completely. Like, yeah. You have to you have to just do it. You know, mm-hmm. you're never going to be 100 percent ready. Uh, what would you say would be the steps someone should take to get as close to ready as they could mm-hmm. if they're thinking about getting into multifamily, making their first investment? Like, like what do you recommend? So for me, it comes back to a couple of different things. People with money will tend to have a bit of an advantage, although that might not be the case because if you're really smart and you're really resourceful. Well, syndication is a great way to get into it, right? So people are always lulled into capital is going to be great for you. And it might be, but how did Facebook get started? How did, how did Google get started? How did um, you know, Microsoft get started? It wasn't capital. How did Apple get started? It got started with ideas. And it got started with creativity. So everyone thinks that the limiting belief in multifamily is that you need a lot of money. No, what you need is you need a ton of education. You need to know what you're doing. And you need to have a plan. You need to be able to understand how the business works. It hasn't changed that much as far as cap rates, NOI, all these, all these buzzwords that we use, cash on cash return. Once you learn that and you figure out what your plan is, what do you want to motive attack? So for me, start out by getting educated. Start out finding a mentor. Start out finding a community. There are so many wonderful communities out there. Bigger Pockets is a great place to start. Start going on there and get that education. It's free. 
I will tell you one thing. Once you start paying for your education, I would like to say investing in your education. It's like anyone who's putting money into a deal. I will only invest with somebody right now if they're putting skin in the game. So you need to, you need to have skin in the game for your own investing or else you're not going to take it. Because if I tell Dan, tell you the three greatest tips in the world and they come free to you, are you going to take action? Probably not. But if you're paying me a thousand bucks an hour, all of a sudden you're listening to everything I say and you're more willing to take action. So the first thing is take a massive amount of education. The second thing is if you're going to get into multifamily, focus on what type of market you want to get into. You need to be specific about focusing on a specific city and a specific sub-market, whatever that may be. I moved down to Jacksonville and in Jacksonville, I'm going to start investing here in the next six months because my brother's here, but there's nine or 10 different sub-markets. Really focus on the sub-market because in multifamily, when you get into these bigger assets, it's all about broker relationships. Focus on that broker relationship and you will get deals, but you need to know how to speak to the brokers. You need to have to know network with the brokers. And I think the third thing is start sourcing for capital. It's, it's People say, hey, do I go for the deal? Or do I go for the money? Well, if you don't have any personal money yourself, you need to find that money out there. You need to find those investors. And then when the deal comes, you've got the money there. Because if you find the deal and you don't have the investors, you can't get those investors on board because you need to have what we call a substantive relationship. So there's a lot of steps to prep yourself. And like I said, when I first started, I worried about the money too. But I partnered with somebody who had a strong balance sheet and I brought value to them and they understood our model. They understood the mom and pop model. They understood the value add. They understood what we were trying to do. So the money came to us real easy because he had a great balance sheet and we figured out equity. We did acquisition fees and all that. So we grew that way. So I want everyone out there to figure multifamily is awesome. Great tax advantages, great cash flow, great scalability, economies of scale, the velocity of money, refine roll. Those things all make sense logically. What you need to do is you need to sell yourself emotionally on why it's a great deal. Then you close yourself with logic and then start taking these steps that I've laid out. Yeah. A lot of great stuff to dive in uh, there. Now let's, let's start with choosing your market. So like, you know, I, I hear you that, that you're in Jacksonville and you're going to, you're going to pick a certain sub market there. But before you got to Jacksonville, when you were just starting out, like, how did you, how did you pick which market you were going to start buying multifamily? And was it, was it where you lived or did you pick an area you, you know, like certain numbers on or, or, or certain predictions on or like what, how, how did that process work? I picked it stupidly at first because I didn't know because I listened to everyone else by saying, you can't invest outside your backyard. You've got to touch it. And everyone who will tell you that doesn't invest in real estate. So for me, through a coach, I understood that I needed cash flow. So what I ended up ultimately doing on my first round, I bought a couple of duplexes up in Rochester, New York. I was going more towards a linear market where I would cash flow. I wanted a certain dollar round per month so I could leave my restaurant. Looking back at that, I couldn't scale the Rochester market. And I didn't like that market because it's a lot of Section 8. There is no job growth. There's no population growth. New York is turning into basically a nanny state because everything's getting free. And who pays? Ultimately, landlords. So what I did right now, back in 11, Jake moved to Knoxville. And what I love about Knoxville, which I didn't know at the time, it's a right to work state. There's no state income tax. There's good job growth. There's a plethora of jobs out there as far as different different companies, whether it's Densco manufacturing, whether it's Rubbermaid, whether it's the University of Tennessee, there's different jobs out there. The population is growing. And it's basically, if you're looking at it, it's either, you know, you're looking at policy versus politics. You want to see where the jobs are migrating, where population is migrating. I would tell your listeners to go out and pick up this book called Big Shifts Ahead by Chris Porter. 
It's a great book on demographics. It's a great book on what's going on in the U.S. There's, there's, there's a reason why Boise, Idaho is booming because they're leaving California and they're going to Boise. There's a tech boom going on over there. Same thing with Phoenix. The number one market in the multifamily market in the U.S. is because they're leaving California. So you need to find a market because we're going to go into a recession sooner or later where there's at least a job growth. Or there's at least people you know migrating towards. Because imagine if you're in a city that goes into recession and jobs are leaving and populations leaving, what happens to your rents? Your rents will drop and your occupancy drops. So I think you really need to focus on a market that has some vibrancy and has some stability to it and has people coming to it. And that, you know, is why we're we're in Knoxville located and we are vertically integrated. So we manage our own stuff. So within with our within our portfolio, we'd like to go within three hours of Knoxville. So we're looking at Louisville. We're looking at Lexington. We're looking at parts of North Carolina, Chattanooga, Nashville. Now, a lot of these markets are overbought. So we're not going to buy anything there, but they're still on our radar. So that's what I would tell everybody. Look at markets. And this is not to say that if you live in one of those linear markets and it's your backyard, maybe you invest there and you accumulate those 50, 60, 100 units, become financially free, and then learn how to invest outside your backyard. That's that's definitely an option. And that's what I was looking to do in Rochester, get a base in Rochester and then move out and go to a different market. But ultimately it comes down to what you know your goals are and what you want to achieve with your with your portfolio. Yeah, I've noticed this trend. It seems like a lot of the the bigger multifamily guys, they're they're all heading to like states that are warmer. Like yes. more people are moving to. Uh-huh more tax friendly, more business friendly. That, like, that seems to be the trend. Hey Cole, it comes down to supply and demand, right? The demand for housing in New York is going up, but what they're doing with the regulations with landlords, it's killing the market. So capital has to flow to where there's, it gets a better return. And you know, ironically, you know, when you have low cap rates, it denotes less. It's a it's a less risky environment, really. But down south, cap rates are, are, are compressing also because there's less risk. There's more money flowing to these markets because of all those reasons that you've talked about. And you know, Chris Porter, he really outlines it in the book of what's going on with these shifts in you know consumer preferences. That's how Airbnb. Airbnb got started. That's how Uber got started. That's how Grubhub and all these different companies got started with preferences and people want to rent. That's what it comes down to. You know, millennials have so much student debt. They're starting families at a later age. So the, you know, the multifamily is really good. And it's also about people being able to work and work where they want to work. So would you rather work in a, in a tax environment like California where 55% of your income is going to the government? Or would you want to come to Tennessee where there's no state income tax and you're basically living at one third the, uh, the cost of living? So people have those options and they really are working. And then, you know, the policies that are being implemented right now, the blue states are getting hammered with taxes and all that. So they're just, people are migrating. I moved three years ago to Florida from New York and my brother three months ago moved down here. So, and we see a lot of people making that migration down South. Yeah, no, I... I agree. Um, I, I grew up in South Florida, so I... Uh, oh, and you left South Florida, huh? understand. Well, yeah. I, I went to the Naval Academy and, and uh, got, got stuck in the D.C. area for, <laughs> for a while. So, uh-huh. But yeah, I've, I've noticed that, that trend for sure. What parts of Jacksonville... Are you are you interested? In? I actually was stationed there for for a time. Um, it's funny. I I we had a podcast with Grant Cardone about four years ago, and remember talking to him. This was back in sixteen, and he looked at me. He goes, "Jacksonville? I wouldn't. I wouldn't invest in Jacksonville." And this is before Amazon came, right? 
six months after the podcast, he's buying a deal in Jacksonville. So he had already seen the capital, you know, <laughs> coming there. And, you know, South Florida is, is over, is just overvalued. I mean, but there's so many people moving there. I was just down South a couple of weeks ago in Boca and Deerfield. It's beautiful down there. There's just such a population growth down there and there's jobs going down there. In, in the Jacksonville market, I, I really, I like the, I like the Mandarin, Mandarin area. I like Orange Park. So that's some really decent assets. It's not big enough. There's not enough supply in Orange Park. The demand is tremendous. I like the South side. Um, you know, the North is a little bit rough. Uh, if we're looking at Arlington, anything west of Arlington is a little tough. The West side is also a little bit tough. So there's certain areas. Obviously, if you're looking for the beaches, you're not going to cash flow there. So I like, we like the South Mandarin, Orange Parkish kind of area. This, it's, you know how big it is. It's such a big area. And also a lot of investors also looking at Mayport near the, uh, near the naval bases. But you see what's going on in Jacksonville. That's a perfect example. Five years ago, it was okay. Now it's two, over 2% job growth. They're going to dredge the port. So make it a deep water port. They've got healthcare. They've got the Amazon. They've got banking. They've got insurance. They've got a lot of jobs and a lot of really good jobs coming down here. So that's why you see multifamily, you know, they're, they're putting five 5,000 units a year coming online. You just have to be careful that those units that are being built are being absorbed. So you can look at that and find that data out. And it's, that's what's happening in Jacksonville. They're being built and they're being absorbed because people are moving down here. And you're, you're targeting your first deal there in the next six months or so? I, well, yeah. Well, we, like I said, we just, we, he just moved down here back in December. So it's like, okay, game on. Now that you're here, we can establish a property management company here. We can manage the asset ourselves. So hopefully within the next year, we can have something on the contract. Are you a new real estate agent struggling to get your business off the ground or an experienced agent looking to get to the next level or something in between? Dan and Kerry have created an inner circle specifically designed to help you. In the inner circle, you'll get weekly training videos, access to interviews from top agents around the country, and the chance for direct access to billion-dollar agents, Kerry and Dan. You will have access to the same systems they use to train their team of $250,000 earning agents. Sign up now for a free trial period by going to hyperfasttrial.com or innercircletrial.com. So I heard you talk about property management earlier. You mentioned kind of diversifying, getting, getting other parts of the business. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, How have you used multifamily to have multiple streams of income? That's a great question. When we started out, we didn't know what we didn't know. Jake's like, I want to get out of my W-2. I'm going to property manage. I'm like, great. You know what? I can help you from afar. I'm in New York. You send out, I'll do the bookkeeping. You go rent, you collect the rents and hire the resident managers and let, let's work on it. Right. So within three months, we had our second deal. We had 60 units. We're like, okay, we can figure this out. Jake, if you buy more, one more deal with the property management fees and with being able to hire property, you know, leasing agents, you can leave your job. And that's what he ultimately did. We bought our third deal in February of 2014. It was 136 units. Four months after that, he was out of the, he was out of work because with cost segregation, benefits coming in, wiping out his income and his property management fees. So we started a property management company by default, but, but we love that aspect of the business because you're really controlling the business. And it's not a huge revenue source, but at the same time, you're really driving results through the companies and through different properties. So from there, we decided to, you know, start an education company. We've written two books. We have media, we have podcasts, we have live events, we have mentorship through the education. And then from there, I told you we started syndicating about 18 months ago. So we started a syndication company, which generates acquisition fees, asset management fees. And it, you know, it, it basically you're buying deals with investors' money and you're able to invest in those deals alongside the investors also. So all those multiple streams are awesome. And you know, for all the residential brokers out there, just expand your mind for a second. You're, you have that ability to do that. If you're a residential broker, all of a sudden you can buy these little fix and flip homes. That's part of your business. 
You can buy some small duplexes and tries and quads and you can manage those. You can actually start doing some private money loans, maybe some hard money lending, maybe some capital raising, buying some smaller portfolios. You can maybe partner up with somebody who has an insurance company. When you buy and sell a home, pass it over to them, a title company, whatever it may be, education, just expand your things. And like everyone's saying, diversify. Great way to diversify because I've got over 25 streams of revenue coming from all of these different entities. When one of them is not clicking, well, there's another one that's going to pick me up. So it's a great way to diversify. It's a great way also, Dan, they all work beautifully together. Because if you've got a student and you're teaching them and all of a sudden you've got a deal and you're syndicating, that student will want to invest alongside you. So they learn while they earn. So we're, we're actually raising capital from students. We're helping them raise deals. We're learning about the market ourselves. And oh, by the way, if they need a mortgage, a student, we can get them a mortgage. So the whole system works really well together. I, I like to call it like a symbiotic relationship, but I love how they work together. Is it easy? Nothing is easy. But once you start, you don't have to start with the end in mind. You start with one piece and then you add on. And it's what I say, the abundance mentality. I don't own 100% of all these entities. I have partners with them. So it allows us to do certain things. Jake does the property management day-to-day. I do Jake and Gino day-to-day. And then when he needs help on the property management side, I help him out and vice versa. So it's finding that right partner. Is it an easy thing to find a partner? No, but you'll know when, when, it's time, when it's time to partner and to scale up. So that's, what, that's how I've been successful to build these different brands. Yeah, that's amazing. Like 25 streams of income. I mean, hats off to you for that. How do you juxtapose multiple streams of income along with kind of another point you mentioned earlier, which was like staying focused, not getting distracted, chasing the shiny objects? I, I think there's a balance there, mm. right? I think, I think there's a, a balance between not chasing something that's completely unrelated to what you're doing yep. to adding stuff that's closely related to what you're doing or that partners can, can handle. So how do that's you, how another do you, great question. Yeah. yeah. What I like about it is they're, they're, they're complimentary. I'm not buying a car wash. <laughs> you know what? That has nothing to do with multifamily. If I'm going to build a business in multifamily, maybe I start a trash valet company, right? Cause trash valet is really hot in multifamily. And I, I, I partner with somebody or I start a CapEx team where we have a construction team and, and really you, you'll have somebody who heads that, but at the same time, you still have your, your finger in the pie. You may dedicate a couple hours a week to that venture. And that's what Jake does. He'll, he'll, he'll dedicate maybe five hours a week to Jake and Gino, but he sees the immense benefits that Jake and Gino brings his property management company because all of a sudden, we've met a lot of vendors through our education. We've learned a lot of property management t- techniques through it. So being focused on the certain avenue that I have, I focus solely on Jake and Gino, but I do lend my time to Rand Partners. I do speak to the investors and it's just being an entrepreneur trying to see your highest and best use of time. When I was in the restaurant business, I washed dishes. That wasn't the highest and best use of my time. The best use of my time was really speaking to customers and creating menus and doing Facebook ads and that stuff. I wasn't doing that. With this venture, I'm really focused on more higher level things. And you know, as an entrepreneur, it's difficult to start hiring out and getting people to help you out. But that's when Jake and I said, you know what? We need to start hiring, looking at them as businesses, creating people, systems, and cultures within these businesses and helping those, you know, leveraging. Everyone thinks about leveraging money, but you need to leverage people's time. I think that's even more powerful than leveraging money. Because if I can have an employee who helps me schedule a podcast, who will edit the podcast for me, and who works on that stuff when you know my main goal is to get on a show or to create a content piece and add value that way, I've been able to differentiate that. It's taken me a long time. It's not an easy thing because it's like that I'm a thing. I'm not that smart. But if you can figure that out, you will be able to leverage yourself and you just have other people out there helping you. Yeah, I, I agree completely on uh, leveraging time and, and mm-hmm. building, like, make your ecosystem 
as big as, as you can. Like you've got so many different things in it, yet they're all somehow related. Like you, you don't have things in there that wouldn't fit the ecosystem or would end up being a time soccer distraction. Yes. I'll give you a perfect example, Dan. Oh, we, sure. we have the capital company, right? We're starting it out. It's been around for about a year. We're doing deals for students. But the amazing thing about it is it gives so much value to our Jake and Gino community because they want to learn about financing, right? So let's get on a mastermind call once a month with the community. And that's how you're getting lead flow for the capital company. You're learning about the market itself and you're, you're out there to know what rates are. You're able to know that CMBS was pretty good last year and Fannie and Freddie were sort of tapped out before it happened. And they, then they came back on. So having that RAND cap component is really adds a lot of value to Jake and Gino. It adds a lot of value to our investing business also. And it's just a way to add value. And it's, you know, it's like you said, it fits so well into the uh, into the rest of the businesses. I think real estate agents as as a whole could do a better job. Like, and I'm glad you mentioned mm-hmm. them them earlier. Like, like you have the leads, right? Mm-hmm. So, so find good rental properties, find good flips, mm-hmm. partner with good title companies, and and just you know be able to offer more services to more people that are all closely related. Like, if you mm-hmm. if you start getting into property management or owning rentals, guess what? Now you're going to have, that's like a whole nother source of first time home buyer leads because these yes. people will buy a home someday. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, you know, most people aren't going to rent forever. Like mm-hmm. we are becoming more of a renter nation. And so I agree with the thesis there, but you're, you're going to get a steady flow of first time home buyers if you like get into this. So there's just mm-hmm. so much possibility if you just have an abundance mindset, but stay in your lane. Like, like don't go... You know, don't go be like a fitness coach if you're a real estate agent. Yes, I agree 100%. What is the saying? You're working you know, on your business or in your work when you're working in it, right? It's you don't see the bigger picture. You need to take a step back and work on it and say, what do I need to do? And it's, it's we're, we're allured by transactions. And that's part of the problem. Transactions pay the bills and they're great and they're short term. But ultimately, equity and playing the long game will make you rich. And, and there's a big distinction. And it took me a while to do that because when I was, like I said, back in my restaurant days, at the end of the week, I got paid. And it was a good feeling. I know what I made. Some weeks I didn't get paid. Some weeks I did get paid. In multifamily, you might buy a property. It might take you three, four, five, six months before you get that first big paycheck, but then it can be residual and it continues. And then you buy your next property. So you, I think, you know, real estate agents, if they take a step back and they have that skill set and they can add value and think long-term and not worry about that commission next month, but maybe roll that commission into a deal or, or do whatever and defer that and think bigger, I think they can all be successful out there. Yeah, I agree completely. I want to touch on, uh, before we run out of time, I want to touch on cost segregation because you mentioned that earlier kind of quickly, but but it sounded like it was something important. It sounded like something that, you know, maybe real estate agents don't don't know a lot about and could could benefit from hearing you describe real quickly. So what I would do is I would have everyone Google it. Just Google cost segregation. It's MA, it's accelerated cost recovery system. You're basically segregating out the assets of a property and you're being able to depreciate them in a quicker timeline. I think whether it's a five-year, 10-year, 15-year. I think multifamily is 27 and a half year depreciation. I think commercial properties is 39 years. You're able to segregate a lot of those assets, like a shorter term, whether they're roofs, their driveways, whether they're air conditioning units, and you're able to take that depreciation at a shorter time frame, and you really now you can take a bonus. You can take it all year one. So can you imagine the amount of? And it's a phantom loss. It's really basically a cash loss. So you're able to wipe out a lot of your income if you're a real estate professional, like a lot of the listeners are, and you're doing real estate full time. Active income gets wiped off. 
by your active losses, which is the cost segregation. And that's one of the reasons why multifamily is so hot because it's such amazing tax benefits. I challenge everyone out there, look it up and you'll be like, wow, why doesn't Trump pay taxes? Well, that's one of the reasons why he didn't make the game. He's playing by the game. If you play by the rules, and this really became really prevalent for, for me to understand, when you drive by a hotel or you drive by these commercial properties, you'll see them fixing it up every three, four, five years. They do that because they're getting that accelerated depreciation. They're able to reset it. So every time they do a new service, they put on a roof, they do a driveway that starts the clock again. So it's actually great for the economy because it stimulates jobs. It actually makes reinvestment into a property able. And that's one of the real, I think, benefits that multifamily has shown over the last few years where why people are rotating their capital into the into it because it's such a tax, tax, I mean, too many tax benefits to it. And I think you heard, I think I heard you say something that I just want to reiterate that that's specific for real estate agents. Now, now because they are a professional, are, are they able to use a loss, which may be considered... So let's jump uh, into that. Yeah. yeah. So so another thing, talk to your CPA, right. but Google it, real estate professional. There's certain certain designation specifications. If not, It's not only just if you have a real estate license, you have to be in the business of property, whether it's property management, whether it's going out there underwriting deals, whether it's raising capital. So you need 750 hours and certain, certain benchmarks to do it. But it would behoove your audience to look it up and discuss with your CPA how you can qualify because then you'll be able to use these costs. You'll, you'll be able to actually wipe off active income with active losses, not those passive losses. That active income, when you're making commissions and you're making you know, income, you can wipe it off at, with the active losses from cost segregation. So go out there and make that start making that discussion with your CPA because it's really important. Yeah, most people, if they're not a professional, right? If they're not active in that, that business, they would have a limit, correct? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. they would. They'd have a limit. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, that's something everybody should should look up and, and talk to their accountant or tax advisor or whoever mm-hmm. and and like look for ways for how you can uh, implement that mm-hmm. before we wrap up I want to I want to end real quickly uh, with our hyper fast round so we've got a couple questions and, and just give us some rapid fire answers if you're ready uh, born ready all right what was your biggest real estate mistake and how did you overcome it not doing due diligence on the first mobile home park. Didn't fly down there. Partner was an ass. Ultimately, it was my fault because we take responsibility for our mistakes. And my mistake was not doing due diligence and not knowing the niche. Mobile home parks are great and awesome investment, but I didn't know them. I didn't know how to analyze them. I didn't know how to analyze the partnership. So that was my biggest mistake. Ultimately, I chose multifamily and I got educated. That's how I overcame that mistake. All right. Other than uh, your family and, and your, your, your children, so I heard you mention that earlier, what was your biggest success? In as far as deals? Real estate. So we did our fifth deal, never forget it. 281 units, $11 million, all owner financing, 80% bank financing, 20% owner financing. We walked away from the walked away from the table for $140,000. So we had no money in this deal and walked away. All bank financing and the, the owner held a note for 20% for the down payment. So is it possible? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Was it our first deal? No. But anything's possible once you're educated and once you know what you're doing. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Wow. I would say surround yourself with like-minded people and don't ask anybody about real estate unless they're in the business. Because real estate's risky, especially if you haven't done it. But find a community and find people who, who are doing it. You know, Success leaves clues. You either pay to pay, you either pay to play or you seek to serve. 
Those are the two models. And I paid in the beginning. And now with Jake and Gino, I'm seeking to serve. So it comes full circle. Go out there and start adding value to other people's lives. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Still on the beach, still down in Florida and just doing deals because I want to do deals and just continue to grow the Jake and Gino education and continue to learn and continue to be a better educator. That's what that's where I see myself. All right, Gino, thanks for being on the show. I think I think this was awesome. Tons of great advice. Tons of great, uh, you know, examples of of what to do and lessons you learned along the way. I commend you just for the overall uh, portfolio that, that you've developed, the people you're coaching, the lives you're impacting. It's it's amazing to see and and homeschooling six kids too. Wow, that's that's uh, that's impressive. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. So uh, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, uh, what are the best ways? Just go to jakeandgino.com, jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. You'll go on there. You'll see our different podcasts that we have. You'll see some blurbs from the book, the audibles out right now. We have, you know, if you want to invest with us, mentor with us, it's they're all it's all on that page. So go on there, uh, some free resources. I think everyone will enjoy the page and they'll get a lot of value from it. So jakeandgino.com and check out the new book, Honeybee, right? Yep. And uh, anything, I mean, can they, they can get the book on Audible, it sounds like, Amazon. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. So you can get it through the website. You can go click through to Amazon and pick it up there. Right now, if, you know, as of this recording, I know Kindle's offering for 99 cents. We are number two on Amazon right now. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. So jakeandgino.com, check out the Honeybee. And thanks for being on the show, Gino. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.